I'm going to begin this morning with our scripture readings. First, there's an abbreviated reading from Acts chapter 2. I'm just going to read verse 46. Then I'm going to share in Galatians, a passage from Galatians 3, verses 23 through 29. And if you don't feel like flipping back and forth, that's perfectly fine. I trust that you will probably recognize both of these passages. From Acts chapter 2, we read, Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And then from Galatians 3, beginning in verse 23. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now faith has come. We are no longer subject to a disciplinarian, for in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. As many of you were baptized into Christ, have closed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I offer these two scriptures today to frame a sermon on Christian fellowship. Today is the third of four back-to-school, back-to-the-basics sermons. And along with worship, discipleship, and what next week I hope will be service, Christian fellowship, I believe, is an essential practice to the Christian life. But, But I'm starting to think that beyond... Simply our spiritual life. I I think Christian fellowship might be the best hope for the church in the world today. Now, Christian fellowship seems like the easy one. In Acts 2, we read that the church gathered regularly. They shared time together in the temple. They shared time together at home. And if we as Baptists have one thing that is our reputation, our calling card, it's that we would claim we got the fellowship part locked down. Maybe locked down on the back row, but we got the fellowship part locked down. You see, whether it's through programs or activities, whether it's through Sunday school events or banquets or Wednesday night suppers or covered dish gatherings, Sunday school classes who check in on one another, who help each other mark the passage of time and are there at life's big events with meal trains and visits. Christian fellowship has been a part of congregational life as long as you and I can remember being a part of congregational life. But I'm starting to wonder if the thing we take most for granted, this fellowship thing that we have 
could be one of the biggest challenges we face in the future because it might become harder to do. We as a society, if you listen out there, are struggling with fellowship with one another. Once we're inside these walls, usually it's fine, it works out. But, but I wonder if, 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 if congregational life is, is facing a threat in the, the breaking down of, of Christian fellowship, then I think we actually have an opportunity to notice that. And it can become an opportunity for congregations in a politicized and polarized and otherwise sectioned off and segmented world. It is a chance for Christians to actually make a difference. Because there should only be one litmus test for entry in the church. It's Christ Jesus, our Lord. And anyone who's interested in learning about Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's what brings us together. And and when that's the case, there should be very little that pulls us apart, even though the threat is that, that many things are trying to pull us apart. So... When we consider, or let's consider, Christian fellowship, and and consider a powerful definition of Christian fellowship that binds people together because of the love of Christ, and maybe re-envisions the church's role as the place where everyone can gather, a fellowship that takes a different form from every other group and club and tribe and organization around us. Now, I'm playing into the fact that the overarching rhetoric of our time is that we are more divided than ever. And I'm not so sure that that's true, because there were times of economic struggle when people were divided. There were times of of civil rights struggles where people were divided. There have been times where wars have divided us in our country. There were other times that were tense, but but these days in a way feel tense and it, and more than that, we have the ability or the access to pulling into our own groups and tribes in ways we may not have ever had before in order to find comfort. And in these tribes that we can pull into, we, we can find a sense of identity, which is great. It's great to have tribes and interest groups and, and places where we feel at home. But I believe the calling of Christians and the calling of the church is to figure out a way to have a fellowship that recognizes everyone else's humanity and standing as a child of God, no matter what tribe or label they might put on after they're outside the walls of the church. We are called within reason to hold one another together in ways that few other organizations are, are even interested in. And so though times might be divided... And it may feel like a struggle outside. Within the history of the church, this has been what the church has always been called to do. Christian fellowship means that we have this body 
that is held together despite great difference and diversity. Because Jesus Christ is our affiliation. And that allegiance comes first before any other allegiance or interest or affiliation. That's why when we look at our makeup as a church, as the church, over time we turn to Galatians 3 and we see that we're one in Christ. Those very, very distinct dividing lines from Galatians have been broken down so that people come together in Christ. And when we look at one another, we're supposed to see not that which divides us, but what makes us alike. And what makes us alike, every single person on this earth, what makes us alike is we are all loved by God. So whether it's the schools we go to, the sports we play, the neighborhoods we live in, the political affiliations we prefer, or anything else, all of those get put aside in the name of Jesus Christ. And I believe that in a politicized and polarized world like ours, our ability to help one another belong in a congregation because we love Jesus, even though we don't align on other non-essential issues, has the power to make the church a different kind of body if we let it. And if we don't follow the lead well, of the religious leaders and fall into their trap like we're so prone sometimes to do. Now, of course, the hard part of all of this is is it means that embracing the inner child of God in someone else demands that we open up in ways that might not be our default. Too often in the face of difference, we retreat. We find those Jew, Greek, slave, free labels, or we find the version of those labels in our time, and we forget that within the family of God, No matter which side of the tracks or the border someone is from, or what career we found or didn't find, or what labels we wear on our shirt that tie us to a lodge or a country club or an organization in which we invest our time, God created each one of us and loves every one of his children, even the ones who don't know it yet. And through our ability and willingness to be an open Christian fellowship, with everyone who will confess the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, well, I wonder if that might be the way that we are saved. Even though we know this, and even though we can repeat this, and we have a tendency to do it other ways, we have a tendency to jump and hide behind the rules that keep us comfortable and in control We have to avoid that tendency. We have to avoid the tendency to push against. We have to avoid the tendency to fall into the rules. We have to push against them, just like Jesus does. Now, Robert used Mark 3 to to talk about how the Pharisees were hiding behind rules when it came to... Robert used Mark 6 to talk about the Pharisees hiding behind the rules of washing hands. I'm going to use Mark 3 to talk about the Pharisees hiding behind the rules. Now, I'm not going to read it, 
Because you probably know the story. Jesus, in Mark 3, is going up to the temple. And when he gets there, he sees a man who's been lame since his birth. He's had a hurt or an injured, a, 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 a hand that was messed up. He asks him, do you want to be healed? And the man says, yes. And so Jesus heals the man's hand. Now, if you and I were there, we would say, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Did you see he just healed that man's hand? And the religious leaders who were there said, you're not supposed to heal somebody on the Sabbath. I mean, talk about burying the lead, right? This man has been crippled his whole life. Jesus walks up and he heals him. And all the religious leaders have to say is, you broke the rule. I was thinking about this, and I'm thinking that if these people saw Michael Jordan in the dunk contest jump from the free throw line and put that dunk in the basket, they would have complained. The religious leader would have said, that's nice, but it's not during a ball game. If they had been around for the fall of the Berlin Wall, they would have been standing there and said, well, there's still some rocks on the ground. They could have been there for the signing of a peace treaty that ended the greatest war in the history of all wars and said, well, there goes our economic boom. And it seems like one of the things we have to push against is avoiding being like that. Oh, we don't do it as explicitly as they do, but sometimes we all do it in more subtle ways. They're a child of God, but they didn't vote like I did. They're a hard-working child of God, but I'm not sure, you know, where they're from. Oh, they seem really nice, and they, they like to talk about their faith, but I'm not sure what clubs they're a part of. And when we find exceptions instead of love, we fail to create the true fellowship based on the love of God that we are called to embody. And in that way, we fall short. Having fellowship meals is important. Having Sunday school classes that embrace us is the beginning of where our fellowship starts. And it really matters. But when we just stop there, we stop the church from being the the radically inclusive group of God's children that we're called to be. And only when we as a church, and only we as the church are called to be this. So whatever the modern reflection of Jews and Greeks and slaves and free may be, we must create ways to break those barriers down here. Because I think that's what it means to embody Christian fellowship. And I think this is what so many people in our world actually need. They need someone who's different. They need some place that's different. Because everywhere else that they go, they see division and marginalization based on interest or experience or some form of partisanship. These days it does seem like the safest thing to do is to retreat into our tribe. And I like my tribes too. But when it comes to Christian fellowship, our tribe needs to be more open than the rest of our allegiances. And if embracing difference 
is not something that we can be convinced of because of the scriptures and the tradition of the church. Maybe we can learn from a business strategy. Just, con- just consider a couple statistics here. In a recent study of top U.S. businesses, those that were ethically diverse performed 33% better than their counterparts. In a recent Forbes magazine study, the best workplaces for diversity experienced growth at a rate 24% faster than all the others in the study. When it comes to running a business, if you want to make money, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. Breaking those barriers down is good for business. And so as faithful Christian people seeking to fulfill the call of God through Christian fellowship, our ability to embrace difference might be the key to our survival and our success. And it might be the best way today to significantly share what's most important to us about our faith. And so my prayer today, on a day when I should have, or maybe could have, just preached a sermon about how great it is to have a meal with Christian friends around the table, my prayer today is that we find ways to embrace the the love and work and presence of God in one another, no matter the differences that we might have. I pray that we might be a church on this corner that does that for others who need it. So that in our way of being, something different is revealed. In our way of relating, everyone is welcome. And in our way of embodying God's love for the world, the world finds love. And a love that transforms all of us for the better. The importance of Christian fellowship and friendships and relationships is this, that we find the love of God from one another. I think that's the most significant way that, the, that God can use us to make a difference in the world beginning today. And I pray that God will work in, work in us to embrace everyone through the connection we all have as God's children. Will you pray with me? Loving and holy God, we know you love us. We are thankful for that love and we know you love the world. You have it, the whole world in your hands. And you've created all of these children to be yours. And so, Lord, as your church, may we be an expression of that love that you have. And may we, in seeking to embrace and embody Christian fellowship, find ways to see your love in others see that others are your child that you love and that you've given us to love and care for. Lord, help us to embody this type of Christian fellowship today and each day that lies ahead and a little more each day. And it's in your name we pray these things today. Amen.